I'm back again. I feel like the Terminator. I'll be back. <clears throat> but uh, this really is my... This is the last Sunday I'm with you. And um, I remember when Steve spoke to me a little while ago and he asked if I'd come up. Um, I was <clears throat> really overjoyed because I really, I've always felt at home in this church. And uh, Steve and I are great friends. In fact, I SMSed uh, Steve just yesterday saying, but I've uh, preached at your church three times already. I'm all out of messages. Could you please hurriedly SMS me a sermon outline? <laughs> and um, I got a nervous reply, but I'm sure he's fine. How many of you are moms and dads here? How many of you love kids? Okay, some hands go down. The moms and dads. I'm a mom and dad. How many love kids? <laughs> you know, there's some things you can say to, to, to kids and to babies that you could never say to women. Did you know that? So you can say, oh, look at how fat she is. You say that to, uh, to a woman, it's just not going to fly. <laughs> you can go up to a baby and you, you can look at the mom and say, so how much does she weigh? Imagine if I met uh, Issa and I said, Hi, Issa, how would you be in your home? <clears throat> how much do you weigh? <laughs> it's not really good. I mean, a little baby makes a bit of a, a, a pop. And you go, Oh, well done. <laughs> when last did someone celebrate your gaseous emission? <laughs> that doesn't really happen much. And um, I love the way kids pray. We always pray in the car on the way to school. And so we get different kinds of prayer. We've got something we call the one breath prayer. This was begun by my eldest son. It was his turn. And uh, so he goes, Lord, I want to thank you for so much. Amen. Hey, Dad, that was one breath. <laughs> and so now we have the one breath prayer and we've got the distraction prayer. And this was uh, pioneered by my second, uh, my, by my uh, youngest boy. And it went something like this. Father, we want to thank you so much for the sleep. And look at that Lamborghini. Look at that. <laughs> and so it's like, um, and then my little girl, she's three. She's, um, she really gets into this. And she irritates her two brothers who are now 11 and 13. And she goes, Jesus, I want to thank you for um, um, the cake. And, um, um, <laughs> and you try to stop her. It just doesn't work. So um, I was on the way to the airport three weeks ago to come here. And I was with my eldest son who's been traveling with me. And um, we were, Mary and I, my wife and I, were talking a, bit, a little bit about spiritual warfare because we feel like we've really come under attack the last little while. And um, so uh, Brandon looked at me and he said, Dad, what's spiritual warfare? So I began to explain to him, you know, that there's a spiritual realm and a physical realm and and so we got the message across and then he looked at me and in all seriousness he says, well, Dad, do you think it's a good idea for us to fly? <laughs> so I'm mad about kids. There was a time that I was sold out and passionate about the ministry. And now I'm sold out and passionate about my family. And I love the ministry, but... I'm mad about my family. Won't you go with me to Galatians chapter 5, and you can meet me in verse 1, please. Um, I'm going to ask if you don't have a Bible that you sit next to a Christian. How many teasing? I'm going to ask that you uh, sit next to someone who does have a Bible. Um, last Sunday morning... There was a lot of encouragement, um, and I really just felt that led by the Lord to just um, inspire, hopefully, and encourage. This morning, it's on my heart to teach. So I'm wanting to take you through a number of scriptures, and I'm wanting to basically show you what the Bible's about in a nutshell. So you're going to need to follow so that you can check that what I'm saying is, in fact, divarate. Are you in Galatians 5? I remember teaching at Bible school one day, Sherman, and there was a new believer who came in. And, uh, you know, after I started to read, he put up his hand and said, Gavin, I don't think my Bible's got Galatians. <laughs> so, 
Before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your promise. You've said that if I would get into the pulpit, you would get into the pews. Holy Spirit, without you, I can just entertain at best. But Holy Spirit, I thank you for a, a partnership. And I ask you this morning that right now you would come against every single religious stronghold. Every structure in our thoughts or in this church that would be birthed out of or that would be upholding religiousness, religiosity. And I ask that you would utterly shatter it. I ask that you would break it and bring a freedom in that comes from an, a, a revelation of you and a relationship with you. Every demonic power lying behind religion that would try to creep into this church, we say the Lord Jesus of Nazareth, bind and rebuke you, we command you, as, authority, um, as representatives of the, of the resurrected Messiah, we command you to let go in the name of Jesus. Holy Ghost, I thank you that you show these precious men and women this morning who they are and who they were designed to be. Amen. Amen. I've been speaking mostly about dreams. Mostly about finding your purpose. That's the thing that is my passion. And uh, so this morning's no big surprise. I want to keep speaking about that. And um, so this morning as well, please understand that I, I'm not here to talk as a pastor. I know it's difficult because I'm up here and I've been a pastor. But I would like you to, as far as you can, make the mental shift. I'm just like one of you guys. As long as you sit there thinking, oh, he's the pastor, you've already bought into a religious system that's going to keep you bound. So what I'm doing, how many of you would love to preach? Honestly, put up your hands please. Look at the hands. Now, of those hands that went up, I'm sure on many occasions, maybe even while I've been here, you've looked and thought to yourself, yes, I could preach better than that guy. And you know what? Probably you're right. And so you could get very twisted and angry that you, know, you haven't had a chance and grab chances. We need to make space for people to become who they are. Alright, let's get going. Galatians chapter 5, I'm reading from the New King James, says, Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not become entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Won't you say freedom? How many of you saw the movie Braveheart? Freedom! Can we shout freedom together? One, two, three. Freedom! There's something called freedom that Jesus has brought to you and I. And when we think freedom, we think, well, Jesus has set us free from sin. And yes, indeed, He has. But there is a much bigger picture. There's a part of the gospel that has almost been left out. And it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free, and do not become entangled again in the yoke of bondage. What gets us entangled? And I'm talking about Christians who've been set free, they're born again. You know what, what the biggest thing is that gets Christians tangled up? is religiosity. Suddenly there are rules. And in the charismatic church, we don't talk about the rules. They are unsaid things. From the way you dress, this church has got a uniform. It's casual. Go to another church down the road, they will be formal. And there are lots of subcultural things. There are lots of rules that inadvertently come across. And the words... Submit. Have you guys heard that? Submit under authority. Is that biblical? Yes, it is. But that's been used to manipulate so many people. What about this one? You must come under a covering. Heard that? It's true. But that name has manipulated so many people. And it's, it's removed many people's strength. You hear God telling you to do that, but I haven't got a covering. 
Do it. I'm not talking about running everywhere mad, but I'm going to leave it there. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom. What I want to show you this morning, what I feel laid on my heart, is to show you who you really are and why you are here. And because the devil knows who you are, and because the devil knows why you are here, and he can't get you involved in sin that much anymore, because every time you fall in sin, you get convicted, and then you repent. So what he does is he gets you tangled up in religion. If you and I were going to go on a mission to find the devil on earth today, where do you think you would likely find him? People would say in bars, in brothels, you'd probably find him at church. Maybe dressed just like now, I'm only kidding. <clears throat> Alright, go with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to go around, there are going to be five scriptures I'm wanting to refer you to, so one go along, but I need you to stay with me because they're all joined together. Luke chapter 10, and um, how many of you folks here were in the Bible school that I ran a number of years ago? Okay, great, a number, okay, so most of you haven't, great. In Luke 10, verse 19, it says this, Behold, I give you, now this is Jesus speaking, he says, Behold, I give you authority, won't you say authority? Most Christians have never heard a message on authority. But Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority to walk. Won't you say walk? Over the last number of weeks, as I've prayed for you and as I've ministered here, I keep hearing the Holy Spirit saying walk. Remember I've mentioned that? And it talks about walking out your faith in front of the world. And here again, I see the Holy Spirit speaking to us as a church saying you've been faithful to come here, you've been faithful to grow, but now the season in this church's life is to walk your faith out in, a, in an effective way. Coming to church is not enough. You were born to do more. Behold, I give you authority to, to walk on serpents and scorpions. Now, it's not actual snakes. Those speak symbolic, symbolically of the works of the devil. To walk on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall in any ways harm you. Listen to it again. Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And while you are doing that, nothing will in any way harm you. Can you tell me who's in charge? The Christian is. Why? Because Jesus said, I give you authority. You know, when you turn 21, I don't know how much that happens today. When I turned 21, my mom and dad gave me a key, kind of a symbolic key. And the key speaks about authority. You are now a big man, you are now an adult. And when you get the key to the house, it kind of speaks of authority. And Jesus here tells you and I that he's authorizing us. I want to show you this morning that every single one of you, from the guys in the front row to the cheap seats at the back, I want you to know that you've been not just given a purpose, but you've been authorized and anointed to do the thing you were designed to do. Whenever God authorizes or gives authority, automatically with that comes anointing. Anointing is not goosebumps that you feel running up and down your back when the nice song comes on. Anointing is simply the power of God with you to do for you and through you the stuff He wants to do. Really simple. It's God with you doing stuff through you in terms of that which he wants to achieve. So Jesus said, Behold, I give you what? Oh, that's fraught. Why don't you say, I give you authority? Oh, that's still fraught. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1, and we can say it again, authority. 
uh, this church sounds like you guys are going to bubble us. Last night was a big party, and now you're kind of waking up slowly. Not so loud, Pastor. Turn this. Up. <coughs> oh, you guys don't know what a bubble ass is. Forgive me. <clears throat> How many of you remember what a bubble ass is? <clears throat> How many of you remember getting the munchies? Okay. This is a. This is a. Anyway. Back to the message. What did Jesus give you and I? Who's in charge on the planet? Let me try that again. Who's in charge on the planet? Who's in, cho- who's in charge of the planet? Okay, can I have another version? This side over here. Who's in, cho- who's in charge of the planet? People, Jesus, God, angels, anyone else? Christians, people, are in charge of the planet. But isn't God in charge? Where do they get this preacher from? Because God's, God's in charge, but I want to show you how He put you in charge. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And let them, if you've got a a pen, won't you put a circle around the words, let them. In the Hebrew, those two words imply an imparting or a transferring. So God says we're going to make man in our image according to our likeness, and then we're going to transfer something to them. It says, let them have dominion. Won't you say dominion? I know this irritates people because, you know, why must I say it after the preacher? But it does get it stuck in you. Why don't you say dominion? Dominion is so important. This word dominion in the Greek and the Hebrew, in the Greek it's the word kurios. And in the Hebrew it's the Hebrew word rada. And rada and kurios simply means to rule and to reign and to exercise lordship. Amongst other things, but that's the heart of what these two words mean. So when God introduces us to man, this is the first time man is mentioned in Scripture. Something called the law of first mention. When God introduces something to us for the first time, it's very significant. He often declares the purpose of that thing at its first mention. So when God says, man, he does it in the light of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transfer authority to govern the planet to you and I want you as man on earth to exercise dominion. What does that mean? He wants us to rule and reign. Who rules and reigns? Kings. And to exercise lordship. So you and I are a king and lord. Now let's just let this settle down for a little bit. You are a king and you are a lord. In all honesty, please be honest, how many of you it kind of feels you're not sure if this lord thing is right? Thank you for your honesty. You can reserve your right to be wrong. Won't you put up your hands? (laughs) No, I'm only kidding. When you hear that you are a lord, not the lord, you are a lord. It does sound strange. I remember wrestling with this thing many years ago. But you know when the Bible says that Jesus is the king of what? Who are those kings over whom Jesus is king? And he is lord of? Who are the lords over whom he is lord? Us. How do you know that you are a king and a lord? Well... You are made in the image of God and according to His likeness. Jesus is King and He is. So you are. Got it? You and I are King and Lord over the planet, not over each other. And we only function as a King and a Lord over the planet when we submit to our great King and Lord. It's in cooperation with Him and it's in intimacy and walking with Him that any of this reality gets walked out. 
How many of you had a problem, but now you kind of see it a little bit more? Can I see your hands? Mm, you're scratching your head. You're not putting up your hands. <laughs> All right. You really are welcome to disagree with me. In fact, I, I quite enjoy that. tells me that there's some strength on the inside of you. Don't just swallow, swallow what I'm saying because I say it. Go and check me out. If you want to come to me afterwards and say, let's talk about this, I'd be more than happy to do that. So you're a king and you're a lord. In fact, keep your, f- I'm gonna keep your finger in Genesis 1, but go to Psalm 8. I wasn't going to do this, but I think I need to just make this point a little bit clearer. I need everyone on board as we go, as we go a bit further. Everyone happy that we teach this morning? Okay, we're going to dish up some meat, so please stay with me. Psalm 8 was written by David, and he probably wrote this while he was quite young. He would have been over 12, though, because he refers to himself as a man, and he probably was out with the sheep somewhere, probably by himself, might have been in the evening. Are you in Psalm 8? If you don't have a Bible, please look. I want you to check me here. So in Genesis 1, God says, I'm going to make man in my image according to our likeness. And then what does he do? He transfers authority for you and I to have dominion. Why don't you say dominion? Okay, this is a big thing. In Psalm 8, verse 3, David says, And now he's by himself and he speaks to the Lord and he says, Lord, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you would visit with him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. That word angel is actually the Hebrew word Elohim, which in Genesis 1.1 is um, rendered God. You know, in the beginning God, it's the same word here. They've just translated it angel. So what it actually says is, you have made man a little lower than God. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. Who wears a crown? Duh, this is deep. Kings. Verse 6. And you have made him to have Do you see it? What does it say? And you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under what? Under his feet. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, etc., etc. Go back with me to Genesis 1. So do you see that God's given you and I, his children on the planet, dominion? All right? And so, when God creates the planet and humanity, who's in charge of the planet then? God is. The authority to govern the earth is God's. But when He creates and makes man, He takes the authority out of Himself and He gives it to man. So now, who's in charge of the planet? Man. Who's no longer in charge of the planet? God. I know it's a... It's kind of, but isn't God in charge of everything? Yes, He is. But He's chosen to give the authority to man. Have you ever wondered why it is God doesn't just pitch up on the planet and put things right? After the devil got Eve to fall, why didn't God just step up? He never had the authority. The authority belonged to man. Because man lost it, it had to be another man to regain it. And so just for time's sake, in fact, let's go to Genesis 3. If we go slightly over, you guys cool with that? I want to, I want to show you some things in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3. And this is the evil chapter. This is where the devil comes on board and the devil comes to Eve. And he goes along to Eve And he says, look at the fruit of this tree, another one that God came to Adam and said, Adam, don't eat of the fruit of this tree, for in that day you eat of it, you'll surely die. God never said that to Eve. He only spoke that to Adam. So how did Eve hear about it? 
Adam told her. And so they're going along and it's not too long before Eve gets tempted by the devil. Why did the devil attack and tempt Eve? There's something vulnerable about having second-hand revelation. You can come to a church, hear a pastor or a preacher or another Christian preaching something that's a revelation to them, and you can know it, but when you go out, you'll fall first in that area. Just because you've heard a revelation doesn't mean it's yours. The power of the word lies in its revelation power. And so the devil comes to Eve, and he basically deceives her. Alright? So Eve was deceived. He pulled the wool over her eyes. Now I want you to I want you to see that Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship. When she needed a hug, he just knew it. When he needed some space to watch cricket, she just knew it. They had this perfect relationship. Really? It was, a, it was a marriage made in heaven. There truly was perfection. There was never that time of the month for Eve. Ever. In fact, they, they were, they were, you know that feeling of meeting someone and you fall in love? It was like that for them probably all the time. And now Adam, standing next to his perfect bride, she eats the apple and suddenly she dies. Not physically, but spiritually. But he hasn't died spiritually. He's still completely the way God had designed and made him. But his bride has suddenly been covered in sin. All of a sudden that perfect relationship is cut off. He's still the perfect man God created. But the woman God created is the entire complete opposite. So Adam's confronted with a choice. Do I leave her? And ask God to do another one with some updates? Yeah? Or do I stay with her? If I stay with her, what can I do? Now, I want you to... You can go and check me out in your own time. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible tells us that when Eve ate of the fruit, she was deceived. But when Adam ate of the fruit... He wasn't deceived. In fact, when Adam ate of the fruit, he knew exactly what he was doing. And he did it on purpose. So Adam standing next to his bride. Now who carried the authority to govern the planet? Adam did. It had been delegated to him. So when Eve fell, had all of humanity fell? No. And so he's looking at Eve, his bride, who is now covered in sin. Their relationship's completely dead, completely changed. And I can see Adam walking over, and he bends down and he picks up this fruit, whatever it was. And he looks at his wife, and he's still madly in love with her. The love of God still flowing through him towards this broken, sinful bride. And he turns around, and maybe there was a, there was a kind of a hole or a, or a gap amongst the trees from, through which God the Father would always come walking in the cool of the day to be with them. And Adam looks back to that gap and in his mind he says, I don't know how you're going to do this, Father, but I'm going to trust that somehow you will come up with a way to bring both of us back from our state. Because I love her so much, I choose to be with her. And he freely takes sin into himself in order that he can be with his bride. What a beautiful picture of someone who was to come. When Adam does this, the authority, remember authority and the word keys always go hand in hand? When the devil gets Adam and Eve to fall in sin, there's a transfer of authority from Adam to the devil. Who now is in charge of the planet? Death reigns through sin across the whole planet. The whole earth begins to shake. Suddenly there are thorns where there never were thorns before. The human being who was never designed to die suddenly now has got a lifespan. Tear ducts that have probably never worked before now start to work for the first time. The pain of losing a loved one 
now appears for the very first time. And so life on earth changes seemingly forever. Now from that point onwards, life on earth is no longer the way God intended it to be. It's messed up badly. Now, here's the thing. God, the Father, is looking down and He says, we're going to have to solve this problem. Because it was a man who lost authority, it had to be another man to regain it. And so a search began through the galaxies for a champion. Someone who could challenge the devil on his own ground and win the authority back. Go and fetch the keys to give back to man the authority that they need. Mankind was designed and placed on earth to rule and to reign. And you know, from the time Adam and Eve sinned, mankind lost purpose. Where were they going? I don't know. Why are we going? All sense of God, of, of, of a godly dream is suddenly gone. It's gone. And so now they start looking around for a, a divine champion. Who can, now here's what they need. Heaven says we need a man. Can't be God. It's got to be a man because man lost authority. A man had to go and get it back. And it has to be a man who's lived a perfect life. But at the same time, when this perfect man dies, he's got to have sin on him, because when he dies, he needs to go into hell. Because it's in hell that the keys are being kept. Now if you live a perfect life, there wouldn't be sin. So where's the sin going to come from? And you and I know today where it comes from. Jesus leaves, takes off that which makes him God, and he becomes a man. Some people say to me, you know, Jesus did what he, what he, what he did, but you know, he, he was God. He was just like you and I. He had to become just like you and I in order to qualify for this battle. And all the way, all the time, throughout his 33 and a half years of living, the devil's trying to get him to slip, trying to get him to fall. One sin, one sinful thought, something like that, and he would fall away. He'd, dis- he'd get disqualified. Eventually, Jesus is there hanging on the cross, completely perfect. Now, please notice this. Jesus was not murdered. He chose to die. And because he chose to die, he could have chosen to die at any stage. He was hanging on the cross for six hours. That is some of the most excruciating pain known to mankind even today. In fact, the word excruciating comes from the the Latin excrucifixo, which means the pain that comes out of the cross. The pain was unbelievable. The way you would die by being crucified, is you would suffocate. You'd be hanging and your diaphragm would push up against your lungs and every now and again you'd have to push yourself up to get a breath. And when you weren't dying quickly enough, the Roman soldiers would come and they'd break your shins so that you couldn't use your legs anymore and you'd suffocate quickly. When they got to Jesus, they didn't have to do that because he had already chosen. You see, Jesus... Stayed in control. He even said, you can't tell me when to die. I will decide. You know why he chose to die then? In fact, Jesus never died. He expired. He reached his best before date. The reason he never carried on living was because there was no longer a purpose for him to keep going. The purpose for which he was sent was accomplished. When he shouted out these words, It is finished! He was saying, my purpose is done. I'm out of here. And as he hangs there for six hours, what was he doing for six hours? The Gospel of Steven Spielberg. Allow me some dramatic license. As soon as he's on the cross, the Holy Spirit shouts out these words across the universe. Go! And angels start going back in time in these divine bulldozers. And they do a wheel spin. And from the Garden of Eden, they start 
gathering all the sin of mankind until it's right at the cross and the throne on Jesus. At the same time, angels go forward into time until the end of the age, spin around, and they're gathering all of the sin of mankind and they put it on, onto Jesus. For some other reason, it took six hours. And when it was all there, Jesus cries out, It is finished. And an innocent man with other people's sins dies. Where do you go if you die with sin on you? The Apostles' Creed tells us that Jesus descended into hell. I can just imagine Jesus arriving and the angels dancing and shouting. The, the, um, the, the demons dancing and shouting and the devil filled with glee. And Jesus looks around. Suddenly his flesh isn't torn up the way it was. He's still got one or two scars. But that's because he's chosen to keep them. And the devil gets confused. He sees Jesus not looking as angry or as upset or defeated. And he can't kind of understand this. Suddenly there's a knock at the door. Big heavy hands pounding on the door and it's the Father. And God the Father looks at the devil and says, For what legal purpose have you got my son here? See, there are spiritual laws. God won't even violate his own law. And the devil looks back and the devil suddenly realizes he's killed an innocent man. He may not do that. And by so doing, he allowed the God-man to come into the place where the keys have been kept. Go with me to um, First Peter. I want to show you something that you might not have seen before. 1 Peter Chapter 3 I'm in 2 Peter, that's why So Jesus is in hell and I can just see the devil suddenly realizing what he's done. The Bible says if the devil knew what he was doing when he killed Jesus, he never would have done it. Jesus starts walking around. One or two demons jump up to try to stop him and I can just see him pushing. And he doesn't even have to touch. There's something about the mark on his hands that just drive demons back. A light shines out. And devil, Jesus is walking all around hell and he's looking for something. Eventually he stops. And a smile crosses his beautiful face. And he bends down. And he turns around and he shouts out. And his voice goes right through hell, right through earth into the heavens. Shouting out to his father, I've got it! And he's got it back. He went to hell to get back the stuff you need to be who you were designed to be. And do what you were designed to do. Everything God did on the cross, he did in the hope and the belief that one day you would find out that you don't just have a savior, but you've got a dream that he wants you to live out. He went to hell to get the authority that you need to rule and reign the way he always intended you to rule and reign. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ, are you all there? Please shuffle up to someone if you can't see it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. I, I, I wish I could take an hour to open just this up to you. It's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 22. And Jesus comes out of, out of hell with a whole, all the Adam, uh, um, Adam and Eve and uh, Daniel and all of these saints that had died before. And they go up like a processional into heaven. And the door to heaven is shut. No one could get into heaven up until that point. The door had been closed. There were an angel standing across blocking everyone to get to the tree of life. Because if you touch the tree, and ate from the tree rather, you would remain lost eternally. 
And so they come and they bash on the door and this angel shouts, Who is it? And Jesus doesn't even get to answer. The whole company with him shouts out, It's the Lord of glory! Open up! And the first praise party begins. And for the first time in several thousand years, the door to heaven opens. Awesome. Go with me to Matthew 16. This is our last scripture. Have I lost anyone? Everyone still here? Please take the pulse of the person next to you. Make sure they're still alive. So Jesus died as a man in order to go to hell, in order to get the authority that you and I need to live out our dream. God has given every man and every woman a God-given purpose, and you and I experience that purpose in the form of a dream. Now, I've got to... Can someone stop that clock at the back? It's the devil moving it faster. Many people, many Christians believe that to live your dream would be nice, but it's not necessary. How many of you would say that living your dream is nice, but not necessary? Be honest, please. Oh, don't live here. Okay. How many, believe you, how many of you believe it's absolutely necessary and not just nice? How many of you won't put up your hand no matter what I ask? Okay, I think there's a lot of those. Your dream is absolutely necessary. Heaven is counting on the fact that you're going to see it and that you will develop the guts and the faith to start walking after it. Because when you start to live your dream, when you start to do the thing God designed you to do, it's not about you, it's about people. When you write the books that you've seen in your head, and you just want to write these books, and as you're writing these books, man, something on the inside of you comes alive. And a little kid reads that book, and it inspires him to go on to become a president, or to become a doctor, or a missionary or something. Maybe you're saying, well, you know, all I want to do is... Um, I just want to, I want to design things. I've got some good ideas. Go act on your ideas. Who knows who you, who you inspire? When you live out your dream, people benefit. When you live out your dream, people benefit. How many of you have ever had non-Christians or even Christians ask you this question? If your God's such a loving God, why hasn't he done something about AIDS in South Africa and unemployment and all of this stuff? How many of you have been asked that? God has done something. He sent you. And the answer to all of our problems in peace form, like pieces of a puzzle, lies inside of you. In the form of a dream. A God-given dream. And as you choose to live out this dream, problems start getting solved. The church starts to come alive. The church starts to touch society, touch community, instead of just meeting on a Sunday and dressing up and feeling lacquer. The church building is like a petrol station. You come through to get petrol but not to stay. I'm deeply, deeply upset and grieved at the amount of Christians that define their Christianity by the fact that they go to church. Some of the greatest Christians I personally know at this time aren't even involved in a church. I'm not saying that's okay. You need to be committed. If you're a great soccer player, what good would you be unless you're on a team? Walking alone is dangerous. But this dream that God's given you what is the dream God's given you? Maybe you just see business. And for a long time you've thought, oh, you know what, I just want to make money. That's what flicks my switch. Oh, but it must be the devil. I must. Some people think that the dream God gives you will surely be to preach the gospel. And, and many churches model that. Because when you're going to go to preach somewhere, you're going to become a pastor or an elder. We bring you up on stage. We ordain you. 
If you're going to go out and plant churches, we lay hands on you and we ordain you. If you're going to become an elder or a pastor on this team, we'll bring you up here and we ordain you. And typically what we are saying is, this is very important. And it is. Imagine the day we start bringing up business people and we ordain them to go into business. How do I know that you'll carry an anointing to go there? Because Jesus gave you authority. Wherever authority is, anointings there. Last scripture, Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. <laughs> I once read, my son read this wrong. He said, Blessed are you, Simon bar one." <laughs> okay, it's not bar one. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock or on the revelation you've just had, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now watch verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That sounds like the person who's in charge. You're a manager on the earth under God. You're in charge. Why doesn't God just step up and do something? He has. It's time for the sleeping giant. Call the church to stand up and start stop and, and, and stop playing church. If all you do is come here on a Sunday morning and maybe to a prayer meeting, maybe to a Bible study, you are missing it. Thank God for that. But that's, that's, you're going to get born. Most Christians think that you get born again, you commit yourself to a church, you get Holy Spirit filled, and, and that's it. You're going to hang around until the rapture, and, you know. No wonder people are leaving the church. It's boring when you are born again for five years plus. And every time you're hearing the message, you get born again. I'm born again. I'm born, I am born again. And it's this, now I'm not saying, I'm not watering down the message. Please hear me. But what when you've grown to the next level? In tr- there's nothing. There's a frustration that begins to eat away at you. And then we get told, well, serve. Go to children's church. You can serve as an usher. You're not called to be an usher. And you need to do it because they house chores. My boys aren't called to pick up my dog poo by God. But it's a house chore. So there are some things we must do. Are you with me? But we think that now because you're born again and you're an usher or in the band, you haven't begun yet. Find your purpose. Find your dream. It's not difficult. Find your dream. Last Sunday night, for those of you who weren't here, I didn't preach. I just did an an, a, a question and answer session. And everyone asked questions about, a lot of questions about how do you find your dream? What about this? A lot of practical questions. I really want to encourage you to get that CD uh, because it will answer some, a lot of the questions about how do you find your purpose. My time is up, but I feel that God's laid on my heart to pray for business people. If you're in business and you're passionate about business, you feel called there. I'm going to ask you to stand up, please, and come to the front. And I'm going to ask if the elders would come up and join me. We're going to have our first ordination service. The priesthood of all believers. You came in a businessman or woman, but you leave a priest. You leave anointed. You are the answer to many people in the business world who would never ever come to church. You are the only Bible some people will ever read. Let me tell you this. You are probably... I know this is controversial, but it's my last week here, so anyway. You are probably more valuable than most pastors. And I'll tell you why. In one sense. Sorry, let, let me rephrase. You can probably be more highly effective than all pastors. 
Because you get to hang out with the unsaved every day. The pastors have got a different job description. So they don't really reach the lost as much as equipping the saved. Understand that. But you guys... And if you're out there, you're a teacher, you're in some other area of life, am I discriminating against you because business is the most important? Not at all. Whatever you do, I just specifically feel led to pray for business people. There's been a, there's been a, it's almost like I can see a part of this body, a part of this church, from which a lot of finances has come, has suddenly got sick, and I believe God's wanting to give this part of the body medication. I see clearly in my spirit a syringe with like a pink medication on the inside. The kingdom of God and its citizens never, never lack money. Ever. There are times you just don't see where it's coming from. My kids have got no idea where my money comes from. They just know when they ask it's there. Can I ask the elders? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a brief prayer, but I'm going to ask the elders, would you, would you come right forward in the front, please? And I'm going to ask us to do this as an ordination. I'm going to ask you to lay hands on people, and we're going to literally we're gonna ask God to authorize them. The authority we've spoken about in the Bible. Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority. All we are doing is we are recognizing what God's already done. Behold, we give you authority. To walk on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy in the business world. In your particular business. And as you do that, nothing will harm you in any way. Father, I thank you that you've made these people, these men and women, to be prosperous. Thank you that you've... Lord Jesus, your word says that we shall remember the Lord our God when he brings us wealth. For it is he who gives us the ability to earn wealth that we might establish his kingdom. So, Father, right now, as, as the elders lay hands on people, Father, we separate them to you. We ordain them for the purpose you have called them to at this time. Take them as light into business. Make them the salt of the business world in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God, I ask that you would release and unleash a ruling and a reigning spirit, Father. A spirit of a king and a lord, that they would take responsibility for what they're doing and where they are, and they would become leading lights. In the name, in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask also right now that you would come against debt that's built up against so many of these men and women because of recession. And I ask for supernatural miracle power to come out and to remove debt overnight in the name of Jesus. Things that we could never orchestrate. But God, just you, seeing the hearts of these men and women, that they want to go out, they want to live their dream, they want to do the thing you designed them to do. Jesus, you went to hell so that you could authorize these men and women. Now, Father, I thank you for an unleashing of your power. Every single thing they need, I thank you that you've already provided in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Folks that are still sitting, won't you pray? Let's just begin to worship the Lord. Often at times like this, the Holy Spirit can just begin to move. So please don't be a spectator, be a participator. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, won't you reawaken the dreams of these men and women? Cause them to enlarge their dreams. I ask for a divine impartation of fresh faith, Father. Renewed hope, renewed faith. God, won't you allow them to supernaturally see past the recession and past the problems and see your solution. 
I ask God, especially at this time, that you would release a spirit of generosity upon these business people. May they give now like they've never given before. And every time you give, may they name their seed, Father. Lord, you've called us to give by sowing and reaping. And as a group of business people, we choose to do your word, even though with our minds it doesn't sound right. We thank you for your authority to walk into business, to walk through debt, to walk through every single thing the devil can throw against us. With your promise, Lord Jesus, that nothing, nothing, not debt, not foreclosure, not creditors, not anything can harm us in any way. So, Father, right now, we ordain these men and women to be the light of the world in the business community. We separate them to you for this end. Take them, Father, as the first bunch of the priesthood of all believers. Turn them into such radical, anointed priests in their world. Keep them from being churchy. But make them powerful in your presence. Um, may I ask for the band to come up, um, Zip, if that would be alright? Could we do that? Could we get the band up? We need a warfare song. Could you guys stay up front, please? Do, do we know a warfare song? Do we. A warfare come? We're going to get. Fired up today. <clears throat> while they, while they um, are doing that, won't the business folks look at me here, please? I'm not trying to stir up emotion. Please understand that. I'm not, not trying to get us to sing a warfare song so that it can all kind of feel nice. Please understand. What I am doing is this. I'm giving you guys, or creating an opportunity for you guys to step out in faith into that thing that we've just asked God for. You see, hope hears the music of the future, but faith chooses to dance to it right now. Don't wait until your debt's gone. Honey, start dancing. Don't wait until new clients have come in. Start dancing, because when you put actions to your faith, a magnet goes off and stuff happens. If God sent you into the business world, He's going to keep you there. Act like it. Even if you don't feel like it. Sometimes I'll say to people, you know, sorry I haven't come back to you. I must get my secretary to phone you back. I don't have a secretary. But I talk like I've got one already. One time I said, you know, my staff and I were thinking, I don't have a staff. That's my wife. How many of you guys up front can feel now, we're not going on feelings, but you can feel there's been an impartation. When God said, I'm going to give man authority, and there was a transfer, whether Adam felt it or not made no difference. Today, you've turned 21 in the kingdom, and your heavenly Father is giving you the key to the door. He's giving you something he went to hell to get. He's giving you something you need to do the thing you were designed to do. When you find it and when you do it, it'll come so naturally it'll seem ridiculous. Because you'd love it. So we're going to close with this worship or a praise song, whatever that might be. And I want to encourage you guys in front. I know the men sometimes don't, they aren't that expressive. I want to encourage you, don't just hear the hope of the future. I dare you to dance to it right now. Faith is, uh, praise is the greatest expression of your faith. Praise is the greatest expression of your faith. I encourage you, forget about who's around you. And go boss. Get beside yourself with joy. Celebrate now in the name of Jesus.
I apologize, but the Bible says, and this is something I feel on my heart for you. The Bible says that you and I are more than conquerors. You aren't a conqueror, you are more. I want to tell you what that means very quickly. Muhammad Ali gets into training. He's skipping and he's punching the big bag. He's up at four in the morning running day after day. He doesn't eat this, he's only eating that. The, 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 the effort and the discipline for month after month after month eventually gets to the night of the fight. He gets into the ring and for 15 rounds they're slugging each other. He's got teeth missing, his cheekbone is broken, his eyes are swollen shut like Rocky and Rocky 17 or something and he's bleeding and eventually he knocks the guy out with the last punch and the guy falls and they hold him up. He's the victor. He's the conqueror. Muhammad Ali is the conqueror. And he goes to the change rooms, he showers, gets dressed, and he drives home in pain, and he gets to his house, and he gets out the car, and he gets there, and his fingers are swollen, and he can't get his key out, so he just rings the bell. And this beautiful little woman, petite, no strength, a strong wind could blow her over, stands at the door, it's his wife. And you know what she does? She just does this. And he reaches into his jacket pocket and he takes the check for 10 million and he puts it into her hands. He was the conqueror. But she's more than a conqueror. She gets a victory she never even trained for. You get a victory you never trained for. That's why heaven calls you more than a conqueror. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you so much. Uh, just to say that Gavin will be speaking tonight and the topic is subject. He'll be talking about how to survive the church as a Christian, which has already got me thinking some questions. God has called us to do great exploits. Let's rejoice in Him, going in His power, and let's have fellowship and coffee. Thank you for coming. God bless you.